Hello and welcome to Good Vibes All That, Pop Break's after party for our favorite shows. My name is Alex Marcus. I'm the TV editor for Pop Break. Uh, and today we are going to be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Believe it or not, they had their seventh and final season wrap up this past summer. Uh, and we're going to be diving into the the ins and outs of that final season and uh, the big series finale, uh, which I'm very excited to get into. Uh, joined with me today is uh, the person uh, from thepopbreak.com who covered every single episode of the show for this season and has done so for many seasons uh, over the years, Aaron Sarnacki. How are you doing today, Aaron? I am doing all right. Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Cool. I'm really excited to get into it. Um, I wanted to start out before we even get anywhere near the finale. How many years have you been reviewing Agents of Shield for for the site? So I started midway through season three. Um, beforehand, our TV editor at the time, Luke Calamar, was reviewing it. He, he got to like the midways towards uh, season three. He got a new job. He left the site, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Bill, the one who was asked me to. Uh, pick up the um to pick up the series well well do you, actually there was a time i was tv editor i don't know if you were aware of that oh no i didn't know that yeah i was tv editor before matt i was tv editor so i think i picked up the show reviewing it at the same time i started as tv editor and then uh from midway through season three to the end of it i've been reviewing it Wow. Okay. So that's that is a lot of episodes of Agents of Shield to to review, <laughs> and the show has definitely gotten through a lot of stages. Um, for people who haven't been watching the show, um, could you tell us like a little bit about like your thoughts on how the show has evolved over the course of seven seasons? Like it started out very much as like uh, the this is what happens in the background of your favorite Marvel movies. Um, but it quickly kind of transitioned out of that and into like a whole other set of ideas as it became less and less connected to uh, what was going on over in the movies. So w- what are your thoughts about like how the show evolved over the course of seven seasons? Yeah, it sort of started as, you know, almost kind of like a procedural case of the week. You know, there'd be some sort of comic book villain they would pull from the comics. Uh, they would face it. Um, but as it went on, and it didn't actually take this long, it didn't take too long. It's got a lot more serialized. Um, and that's really because of uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier flipped like the entire series on its head. And this was only like episode like 13. Um, I mean, I, I, I assume we're okay to spoil anything in this, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is our after party. So we're spoiling the whole thing. Yeah. So straight off in season one, they reveal, and this is just because this is the way to decide to do Captain America that, Hydra had inter- infiltrated Shield for years, and uh, it basically taken over. Um, and now uh, Shield was basically designated a terrorist organization, and they had to like basically fight for control. And, and it's just, for something like that to happen in the first season of a show is just like bonkers to me. And they even happen like I can't understand if it happened like in the finale, but it happened like right in the middle of the first season, and it's just like. Everything you knew about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is 
basically, you know, gone. And then they reveal the big reveal is that one of the main cast members, Ward, was Hydra. So that changed so much. Um, and that was actually the part where I really got invested um, in the show. Um, but a- after that, the show got a lot more serialized. Um, it definitely found its identity more when it introduced uh, the Inhumans in season two. Um, cause I think it was still kind of finding itself. Um, even though it had that Hydra twist, I don't think that it, it, when the humans were introduced, that's when really things started to come together. It's like, okay, this is what the show is going to be about. Um, not to be confused with the Inhumans, uh, miniseries, which I also reviewed and was pretty so-so, um, that might be the nicest thing I've ever heard anyone say about that show. I was... <laughs> At the time, I was trying to say it's not as bad as everybody's thought. It was also one of those things where they, it was one of those series where they try to have a sympathetic villain, and then that came out, and then like a year or two later, Black Panther came out and did like everything that that uh, miniseries was trying to do like a hundred times better. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I actually, this is kind of a tangent, but I actually saw the first two episodes of Inhumans in IMAX when they released them. Yeah, no, them. Uh, so I was like, all those two when I, when I reviewed did? it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, I thought, like, it, it, I mean, I at that point, I already knew that it was not necessarily being very well received by critics, but I thought, like, oh, you know, like, the novelty of it, like, seeing a TV show on the big screen, like, that'll be fun, and, and it, it can't be as bad as they're saying, and, like, I don't know, I thought that it was actually, like, at, at least as bad as they were saying. I was really surprised by, just, like, how, like, how bad it, like, how bad the writing was, the acting was pretty like there was a couple of interesting things in there, but like most of it was like made, didn't really feel like they got their first choice on the acting front. Um, and then the like the sets and like the production, and everything just also seemed really low budget for yeah, what you I would expect. Putting, putting that on the IMAX screen was a big mistake. Uh, you know, for, you put yeah. you, you put in, putting something that you know low a budget compared to a movie on an IMAX screen is just gonna enhance you know the you know to your perception of how you know you know if this was a movie this would look better yeah well and because i had seen what they did with agents of shield and now shield certainly some things that they try look better than others for sure like they're working on a tv budget and definitely as the show went on the ratings went down and i think their budget got lesser and lesser but what they really know how to use their assets and i think that like they save up and so that way when they're big moments that have CGI and have spectacle and have big sets are needed, it, it looks great. And so I was really surprised by like how poorly Inhumans ended up looking by comparison, uh, especially knowing that it was designed to be on an IMAX screen. But that's like a compliment to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in my opinion. Like I feel like the CGI and some things like can get a little bit janky sometimes. And, and uh, anybody who's a longtime viewer of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. knows that there has been many episode stretch where you're just spending times running around in hallways <laughs> but um but i think that like they do that so that way then when they really have a moment that counts like it actually looks pretty good yeah they, i mean they were definitely you know and they even they made a joke about the hallways in the finale <laughs> which i thought was pretty funny um yeah. you 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 could definitely tell they were reusing sets a lot i mean um even like 
as far as back as like season three, like the one like bunker looked like the same, like the same like space station they were on later in season five. So, but like, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, that's just sort of like budgetary things because um, I, I don't know exactly what the uh, the ratings were for this show. I know I think they started out pretty good. But they, I think they dwindled pretty quickly. They did well because so this show aired in like this it in the spring no sorry in the fall of 2012 I believe where it was like the year after no sorry it was the fall of 2013 was the was when it, was it like happened right so, after Iron Man three because the premiere it was so you it got greenlit after after the first Avengers movie and they said okay we're making a, a TV show for ABC it's going to star. Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson, and everybody said, wait, Agent Coulson just died in the Avengers, what do you mean? Um, and they said, you'll find out. <laughs> and uh, and then they had, like, a year of, like, casting and writing and developing and stuff like that, and then it, and then it ended up coming out pretty soon after Iron Man, Iron Man 3, rather. And that was kind of when MCU was, like, at the height of its popularity, at least until this most recent run of, like, Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Endgame and Infinity War. Before that, like that, so like that kind of 2012, 2013 period was like the first real peak of popularity that MCU had. And so ABC got a lot of eyeballs on the premiere for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as like, oh, it's it's going to be like a Marvel movie every week. And that, those ratings quickly dissipated. Like after only about a month of airing, they had lost like a huge portion of their viewership. And and that trend continued into season two. Even after, as you said, like they had kind of a creative renaissance as like two thirds of the way through the first season when when the Hydra reveal happened and you really got a sense of like, oh, this is what the show is going to be about. Um and they kind of ditched the story of the week structure. But uh, yeah, the the ratings still continue to slide, and I think they kind of finally stabilized in season three, but at a much lower level than where they were. I mean, that happens to coincide with the point in network television where ratings slipped in general, and especially for this type of series where most of its audience is going to be younger, it's going to be skewing like more online, and so people are were just watching it other ways, like people like the executives would always say well it actually does pretty well for us if you count the dvr and the hulu ratings and stuff like that but um and that's partly how it was able to stay on the air as long as it did but it actually got saved at least once by disney itself who kind of insisted that abc not cancel it because they wanted to have a marvel property on abc proper and so i believe that was after season I believe after season 5 they were going to be canceled and then at the last minute uh, Disney stepped in and said, no, we need this to continue for at least another season. And then season six did well, like was going well enough early think, into production. I, and they, in my and recollections, they... with my recollections, six and seven were announced together and they announced that seven was going to be the final season. Um, that's just the way yeah. I, I remember. I think it, that is what happened. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I, I believe that it was for, but they they also did design season five with the intention of it being the final season because they just didn't think they were going to get picked up for a sixth season. So I think, so it was like once they kind of, once Disney sw- swept in and saved them, they said, okay, well, we're going to do two more seasons and then we are done. And I think that was kind of a, a mutual decision on the part of the network and the creatives at that point where they wanted to be able to write towards an ending. Um, instead of having to kind of, you know, 
every year decide like feel like they're writing their ending and then uh, get get the last minute uh, renewal notice but um but that's the production history of the show uh the actual history is something that i think has been really cool about the show where they really they cast it with really talented actors that no one had really seen before and i think all of the actors uh, like created an ensemble that was pretty fresh from the start and really grew over time in terms of like the quality of performance uh and then they just decided that like every season they were going to have like a different theme and a different structure and they got really into this whole idea of pods where like sit like 12 episodes or or eight episodes would be one kind of coherent story and then we would transition into a new story and it would kind of all culminate in a in a finale that kind of ties everything together uh how did that decision to structure things in that way and to like give us kind of a fresh version of the show every year while still continuing the the character threads over the course of seasons how how did that work for you uh, I think it worked pretty well. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of the specific. The, the the one that comes to mind the most is season four, because season four was very much structured that way, where it had the um, Ghost Rider, then it was LMD, and then it was Agents of Hydra. Uh, yes. Which was in the framework. Um, and for that season, I thought it worked particularly well. Um, but even like season three, I think it sort of had like there was they went on that alien planet there was the before and after of that basically yeah. um season, so i yeah season has that kind of it's like bifurcated so the first half of the season is all about like Gemma's on an alien planet and there's this inhuman guy that like there's this inhuman serial killer and they're dealing with the fallout from all of the like all of the earth's population becoming exposed to the terrigen through like the fish oil stuff and mm-hmm. like all of that is happening and then in the second half, it's like the got the alien from the other planet who's like the original Hydra or a person like that. He kind of comes in and it's all about him having sway over all of the Inhumans and getting date and swept up in Daisy's whole story and her getting kind of like addicted to him. And and that's all in the form of Grant Ward's <laughs> rotting body <laughs> and uh, Hive is the character's name. Yeah, Hive. Um, so, yeah, that's. Yeah, so that's how they split up that season. Season two, it's a little less clean of a split. They definitely do transition from one thing to the other. Like the whole first half of season two is really about the kind of like what's going on with Daisy's with this with Daisy's dad, who they find out is her dad, um, and like what's up with the writing that Colson's writing, and it's a map to an alien city, and we have to see that finally ends. Daisy kind of in a human and powers and the second half is all about her going to afterlife and her mom and her dad being on the same team and then on opposite teams and then fighting and everybody ending up on the on that ship at the end but it's a little bit more muddled because there's also the whole civil war inside of shields which doesn't really fit well in either part of that show i i think that's like i made that would season two was definitely one of those seasons where they just kind of like stuffed too much plot into it in my opinion but um but yeah so that's so that's where they kind of like test drove that idea of like splitting it in half and then season three you really get more of a, a halfway point demarcation and then season four as you said is they split it into three and it's very effective clean arcs and then season five is the time travel stuff where like the whole first half of season five they're up there in the future in space and the second half of season five is them 
kind of going back to the present and per, trying to prevent what happened to happen um, along the way. They go on like a little greatest hits tour of their old like nemesis and special guests and stuff like that because again they thought it was going to be their their end season and phil colson dies and it's all very sad and then season six they have a nice halfway point where it, the whole first half is like find trying to find fits in space meanwhile at home you got phil colson is back but he's not phil colson he's sarge and what's his deal is he a good guy or a bad guy and then in the second half of that season it's all about the like woman from the other realm who who Fitz and Simmons accidentally got mixed up with in the first half and like her whole plot to destroy the world or whatever uh, <laughs> and then season seven continues that trend where you have the first half of the season is very much about like the time travel uh like going from era to era like taking a tour through the MCU history trying to preserve the timeline and then that all kind of fades away at the halfway point and it becomes much more about like the pre like what's go like the end game of the Chronicoms and Nathaniel and all of that. So uh, they 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 were able to maintain it for every single season, which I a after the first one. And I I I personally thought that was an interesting way to break up a season because I just I always feel like these genre shows uh, are just way too long for a for a twenty two episode season on a network show. Like they're just the plotting just rarely justifies it. Like that's what all the Arrowverse shows are over on the CW try to do, and it just can be very painful. <laughs> you just get a lot of lag in the middle and like a few episodes that just don't matter at all. And, uh, and it could be really hard to maintain momentum. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but here they, they, they thought that they kind of solved that problem by, by having these sort of pods setups. What do you think about that? Was it over the long haul of the series? Like, do you think that that was a good innovation of the writers? Yeah. I it works better uh, definitely for this show i know what you're talking about arrow i'm thinking about the first season i feel like for some reason the first season being that just 22 episodes for me it worked i think maybe because he had like a list or something of people he was hunting <laughs> down yeah um so like there was some structure to it but then like when season two came it was just like we have this many episodes we have to film somehow it just it didn't feel like it has much of a purpose. So I think that they were. Yeah, no, I like the way that they did uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, this way. Um, again, it's it's a, like sort of a far cry from what like the first 10 episodes of the series were, where it's just sort of like sort of like the X-Files, where it's like a monster of the week or in this case, you know, supervillain of the week. Yeah, yeah, I think that it was good to transition off of that, though, because for one thing. I think serialization just gets a modern audience more engaged in what's happening. You know, like we just don't have the same sort of relationship with TV that we used to, where you would just be like, oh, you know, this week I'm going to, I don't have anything to do. So I'll go on and I'll see what's up with my friends. And then, oh, I'm busy this week. So I'm, I'm not going to watch it and I'll never get to see it because there's barely anything called reruns and there's no way to watch things outside of live. So I guess I'm going to miss a couple of weeks and, oh, now I'm going to check in on them again. And, oh yeah, look, they're still kind of doing the same thing. Like we just don't have that relationship with tv anymore especially genre shows so right. i think that it i think that it just i think that's a big reason why they lost their audience so quickly because it was just so inessential each episode well i also think and i think this is just sort of the nature of science fiction um that i don't you sort of lose people along the way in science fiction because they either say like 
this is getting too crazy for me or because like when when I talk to people about Lost, they'll be like, I got to this point and then this happened and I stopped watching. Right. Yeah. Well, Lost is like, like, like the famous sort of example because they sort of they they snuck in the sci fi. They they sold the, the show. Season, it's like imagine if yeah. imagine if a bunch of strangers get crashed on an island and it's like it's like Survivor, but it's a TV show. Right. The you know, first and then very survival based and they they did they snuck that in. But once you get to like season three, things are like, yeah, <laughs> things are a lot different than when they were when they started. Yeah, and you're either in or you're out. But what's cool about that approach, and I don't think every show should or could pull that off, but the cool thing about that approach is is that you do get some people who are like, I never watched a sci-fi show until I started watching Lost, and then I became a sci-fi fan, you know, because you snuck it in there. But when you do that, you also run the risk of really getting a lot of people who just don't want sci-fi at all and never will to, like, pretty upset with you for trying to trick them into watching it. Yeah. Yeah. and I can't, you know, Josh and I did a podcast on Lost Finale. So if you want to hear our opinions on that, you can go listen to it. Um, it's definitely, um, definitely a very influential and very interesting series. Yeah, well, and especially, I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but they end up kind of going in a in a direction where like they tricked everybody into becoming a sci-fi show. And then towards the end, it, they tricked everyone again into becoming a, like a spirituality show more than a sci-fi show <laughs> and like a, a religious mysticism of sorts. And I think that that also, you know, they asked a lot, they asked their audience to go to a lot of places with them. And, and it's telling that only a certain amount of people were really willing to go all the way to the end. But the ones who were, I think, felt very satisfied with it. Um, We're going to get to how satisfied you felt with the series finale of this show. But while we're talking about just like the arc of the series as a whole, I'm curious what storylines really jump out at you as like your favorites from the course of the series. Um, If I, I think um, if there are probably three storylines, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of combining a few, but three storylines that, I really liked was first was the, the Hydra um, reveal midway through season one. That's when, like I said, I really like how oh, I got to see what happens next week. Um, then maybe I think the, when Hive came back um, in season mm. three um, and that might just be because that's when I started reviewing it. So I really got started getting engaged in the show. Mm hmm. And then um, I'm sort of kind of combining the LMD uh, agents of Hydra together. But like, I think those three or four were like, those were the arcs that I really liked. Yeah, the the LMD agents of Hydra, like double, like double team. Uh, that is That is probably my favorite period of the show. I thought that that was just one of those things where they really didn't pull their punches for the entire, for that entire run. And like every episode just felt like it was building on the next one and like getting, and just really going deep into like the implications of what you would do with this. And there was, they had really, because I think they were on a shorter timetable where they're like, okay, this is going to be eight episodes. This is going to be eight episodes. This is going to be eight episodes. They never felt like they were kind of teasing and stretching things too long. It was just, I was always surprised that we were where we were every time that we got there and then they would pull the rug out from under you and you'd be in a different place. And it just always felt like they were just like upping the ante and upping the ante and upping the ante in a way that was very, uh, so really character focused. Like 
go deep into the character stuff on that. Especially with like Gemma and Daisy and with Fitz and all of that. And uh, Ada it was such an iconic uh, villain. If you want to call her that, it seems almost disrespectful. It's much more complicated than that. Um, so I love that. That's probably my favorite part of the series. Um, but other other stories for me that I really like, uh, I, I love the whole episode with, with on the planet. Be the most iconic episode of the series, and with reason. Um, and I also, I, I have to say that uh, the first half of season five isn't the strongest for me. I that kind of parts. You know that they're gonna get back to the, the present, and it just kind of like it kind of tees out a little bit too long with the whole like evil and human uh, evil. Um, well, it's, uh. Oh, who, what's the alien race that they are? The Kree. Yeah, or the Kree, yeah, the blue guys. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could have done a little without that. I do love the episode when, like, what he's been doing and, like, what he's been doing to try to get back. But, um, but of season five, the very fitting end. The show, all of the threads of everything that we had followed were kind of coming together in this way that felt really, really satisfying for characters and for and from a plot perspective, like both for the series and for that particular season. So I, that's also like a particular highlight for me. Um, and also just like Daisy's relationship with her parents throughout the whole show uh, has been a real highlight. And I, I would even extend that to have uh, May and Coulson be part of that conversation because they are certainly surrogate parents to her throughout. And I think like that kind of, her relationship with those four characters is always really powerful. And I was happy to see them bring back Ying in this final season to to tap into that one last time because I think that uh, Chloe Bennett who plays Daisy slash Sky on the show, I think she's never better than when she's acting those scenes with her parents and surrogate parents. Uh, and I think it just like she gets into like this other mode that's just very, very, very exciting to watch. Um, but those, so those are definitely my highlights. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think um, just because I had favorite parts doesn't, I mean, and I think because the show had such a like a varied uh, assortment of storylines, y- everybody's probably going to have something a little different as far as, I mean, I think. Most people are going to have season four because that that was like the time when I was like, you realize what like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing is like doing crazy. Like first like the fact that they got Ghost Rider on the show is like they got Ghost Rider on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now is like. Yeah, which was huge. I mean, everybody had kind of written the show off at that point and Ghost Rider is a, you know, it's not like Captain America or Spider-Man, but it's a like it's a it's a superhero that people know like they made a bunch of Nicolas Cage movies about that character and so like for them to get that property seemed like a pretty big deal and they actually did a really good job with that arc you know it could have been pretty silly like with ghosts and everything else and it's like it's ghosts but science but also demon realms and stuff like that like they really bit off a lot in that first bit and I I think they did a pretty good job integrating that into the show and and making it feel earned and building a character with Diego Luna that was really or with Gabriel Gabriel Luna I think is the actor's name right I'm not one of this has been so long (laughs) 
yeah fair enough um but yeah with that character like the they did a really good job um something else before we get into the final season that i just want to compliment the show and then i'll ask your thoughts on it is just the show's ability to to bring like to be willing to change its roster over time and to be willing to bring on new characters and uh and see how well they play with the show. Um, there's been ca- characters have been added that end up being kind of short-lived, and other characters get the chance to stay, and they stay, and they make a really big impact. Um, and I just really appreciate that because a show like this, you know, it usually has a core group of characters that kind of come in and out and uh, that stick around, and then you might have like a season-specific character or two here or there, but. This show is willing to really experiment with its with its ensemble and bring in players. And when they worked, they were willing to stick with them and, and give them new stories, uh, specifically characters like Yo-Yo, uh, played by uh, Natalia Cordova Buckley, and also, you know, Deke, played by Jeff Ward. Like, the, these are characters who got a chance, like, they had a particular purpose in their season and they got a chance to stay. Even a character like uh, like Mac, played by Henry Simmons, you know, he was somebody who was not part of the original group and shows up in season two, and and he's just such an integral part of the show. You can't imagine the show without him. Um, and then other people kind of came and went. You know, like Trip was there, and then he was gone. You know, uh, and there's a couple of you know, poor Joey. I always remember Joey Gutierrez as uh, as the first out openly gay character in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he got to be in about four episodes of the show, and then just unceremoniously never heard from again. <laughs> but um, but I just appreciate they're willing to experiment with that kind of stuff. I, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is in some ways hard to believe that Mac wasn't part of the core cast from the beginning. Um, and he was actually part of that whole, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. Civil War part uh, thing that uh, they did, like, a few episodes of that. Then there was just like, whatever, we're not interested in this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was, a, which was, I mean, I think that's, like, one of the low points of the early era of that show. Like, that was just a total bust of a storyline, as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, you have... I like Edward James almost I know, I on the so show and it, he was so good he was basically playing his character from Battlestar Galactica and he gets like two episodes he's just like killed for no reason it's just like was such a bust I, it really was all kind of this setup so that way they could tie in to Age of Ultron um, which is basically the last time they meaningfully tried to tie in to the MCU proper. Because if you remember, and I would not fault you for not remembering, uh, but the whole reason why the other S.H.I.E.L.D., which is basically like what happened for people who didn't follow the whole show, what happened was when uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of breaks apart because of the Hydra reveal, like Phil Coulson gets his, is told by Nick Fury to like get a team together and he gets his team together. And that's the team that we've been following. But towards the second half of season two, you find out, well, there was a whole other splintered off version of S.H.I.E.L.D. after the fallout um, that has that thinks they are the the proper respected version of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they're very suspicious of Phil Coulson because of some uh, specific specific uh, suspicious things that they that he's been up to as the acting director of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is totally fair, because in those first opening seasons, especially, he acted super erratically and impulsively and emotionally and 
uh, there was a lot to be uh, worried about, especially because like he had been resurrected from the dead and had like a secret alien language in his head and that he was writing on the walls and like he, they were right to be suspicious. <laughs> but um, but the big thing, the big reveal of that arc was, oh, Phil has been building this this sec had has been hoarding away all of this money that nobody knows about and what what is he doing with this money he's doing it he's building weapons what is he doing and then it turns out he was building a second helicarrier and it's like oh what are they doing with the helicarrier and then at the very end of the episode that like leads into the premiere of age of age of ultron he kind of like lets he tells like maria hill comes on and is like hey do you have that thing we need it and he's like yep i got it for you and it's like oh the helicarrier that nick fury shows up with at sarkovia was from phil colson and he doesn't specifically say it in the movie he just says that he got it from a friend or something but we know because we're watching agents of shield that it's phil colson and so that whole storyline was just there for that and it fit very poorly in the season and was kind of a total bust and a waste of time for everyone. <laughs> and there was no real, and like that payoff was so small and so like unstated that it was just like, why did we do that? Um, right. But yeah. Like in the, the middle tool, of all that, it was called got, like Fury's toolbox or something. Yeah. Fury's toolbox is like this thing that has like all of the secrets of, of, uh, of yeah, shields. And yeah, it's like, what's in it? Oh, it's this thing that, if you saw Age of Ultron, you'll know what it is, but it's yeah. not really important <laughs> to the show. No, it really wasn't at all. And it's just, yeah, it was really, it was really lame. And, but in the middle of all of that, you have this brand new character called Mac, played by Henry Simmons. And he was so good with the cast. Like he was supposed to be there as like the mole inside from the other version of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he was, he just had great chemistry with everybody on set and was a really compelling character in his own right. And so he stuck around after all that fallout and like got his ax and like cut Colson's arm off. And from there he was in, he was, he was on the team. And then he ends up a couple of seasons later being named the, the new director, which I always think is really funny because it's like, are we still pretending like this is like an actual spy agency that has a director? Because like, come on, <laughs> it's just like seven people in an abandoned <laughs> warehouse somewhere. <laughs> I, it always makes me laugh when they do that, but like, good for him. He gets the title, whatever. It'll be, it'll look good on his resume. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's one of the guys that they, that they say that they salvaged from that storyline. And he's like the heart and soul of that show in a lot of ways. So, um, but moving on into the finale into, well, into the final season rather, uh, it's, it's notable that it sets up the whole first, like the end of season six is like Gemma shows up with this, with this, like uh, this new version of the Zephyr and she gets, she collects the agents from that temple, which is best to, yet to like, not even go into why they were there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she's, and she's like, Hey, you got to come with me right now. The Chronicoms who we accidentally uh, brought to the planet a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. They're here and they're going to destroy everything. So you need to come with me right now. They're like, okay, cool. Where's Fitz? And she's like, I don't know. I can't know. Let's not talk about it. And they're like, wait, that's kind of ominous. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. And then they look outside and they're like, wait, where are we? And they're like, we're in New York city. You're like, but where are the skyscrapers? And it's like, Oh, cause it's the thirties. And it's like, boom, next season right so like fun cliffhanger um they pick it up by by having this sort of like it felt to me 
very influenced in a way that they often like to do in a sort of sideways way. Like, I remember one point the executive producers of the show gave an interview where they said, like, you know, we're not going to be super tied into the MCU anymore, but what we are going to do is kind of try to, every time that the MCU unlocks this new corner of itself in a movie, then that le lets us have more ground to play with from a story perspective on our show. And so after Doctor Strange brought in this mysticism and this, like, a supernatural quality, they had Ghost Rider and the Darkhold and all of that stuff in their season. And, you know, after they have a couple of movies in space, then the, sh then the show gets to go into space and play around with the Kree and all of that now that we know what that is. And, and this season felt a lot of like, okay, well, Endgame did time travel where we went to all the different eras of, of the MCU. It got to hop through time. So now let's have us do our version of that by hopping through like Agents of Shields history instead. Um, and I'm curious, how did that like how did that first half of the season work for you? Were you happy that they went in that direction? Were you kind of like spending like an, like two episodes in one time playing around with genre, playing around with style, and then moving on into the next thing? Um, I think for when it started out, it didn't quite work for me. Um. I don't know if it's just because time travel is such so commonplace in fiction now that this is like, well, this is just their take on time travel, um, you know. And they did already do one time travel season. Yeah, season yeah, five. season five. Um, it wasn't, I didn't really get sort of invested in the season until they reintroduced Sousa, well, reintroduced from Agent Carter. Um, so that was like season episode three, I think. Yeah, yeah, because that was when they go into the fifties. Yeah, so they do two episodes in the thirties, um, and then they and then they do two episodes in the fifties, and in the episode and then in the fifties episodes, that's when Agent Sousa pops back up as a little grayer, a little older version of the character that we met in Agent Carter if we watched Agent Carter, which. Uh, a lot of people didn't, so I thought that was interesting that they that they made that choice. But I I loved him as a character. I thought that he was a great introduction to the show, uh, or a, a great addition to the show rather. Um, and I really felt like it was like their way of finally getting Captain America on the show. Basically, like he was their version of Captain America, <laughs> where he's just like this noble person out of time, like very kind of old fashioned, but like with a really good heart who just like loves too much and cares too much and is willing to sacrifice whatever he needs to in order to help save the day. Um, and that and he's all and he's unstuck from time as well. And I just I thought that was like a. It was something that the show I didn't realize was missing, but it was really nice to have once he was finally around. I agree. I think that the show kind of took on new life once once he was introduced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just thought it was a really bold, creative choice. It's just like, I mean, for one thing, like he basically he has his his happily ever after erased by Endgame, and just like, yeah, no, he doesn't end up with uh, Peggy and. But we're going to, you know, we still want to do something for the character. So we're going to introduce him in Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And some people might not even know who he is. Um, I think they did a pretty, even though a lot of people probably didn't know who he was, I think they did a pretty good job of, like, letting you know, like, like this is who he was. You might have heard of Agent Carter. He was on that. Uh, um, but yeah, um, and I really liked... Um, 
again, if we're, if we're talking about like genre, I, I like film noir a lot. So I really liked the out of the past episode um, where it was all black and white and with narration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was a particular highlight of that of that um, first stretch of episodes. The whole like the the two episodes in the 30s, I think that um, you're still trying to figure out what the show is doing at that point. So I think I would be interested to to rewatch those early episodes and see if once I understand that it's like okay, we're spending two two episodes here and then we're going to be going somewhere else. Like if you know that ahead of time, I'd be curious how well it played because at the time you're just like are we doing a full season in the 1930s with like robots from outer space trying to steal people's faces? Like is that what this the final season of the show is going to be about? Um and then they and they also tease this whole like there's this line that was in every trailer of the before the season started where it was like in order to save shield we'll have to save hydra and it's like i don't know if i love that as like a choice as like a storytelling device you know it's like yeah let's protect the nazis so that way we can save the time because otherwise like then we won't have captain america and like time travel you know so it's like i don't i wouldn't have loved that if that was the whole season but they pretty quickly abandoned that that's really just the theme of those two episodes and then things get so messed up by the time they get into the third episodes that they realize that they have to abandon that whole plan and just try to salvage what they can for a while. So I, I, I would be very curious to see how those episodes then would play knowing that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, those first two episodes, it's like, oh, there's this, this kid who's like the grandfather of Gideon Malik. He's, he's just like a kid now. He's just like, it's like, okay, I guess it's interesting. It's not really get interesting until he pops up again. You're like, oh wow, they probably they should have killed him because now he's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like even further on. Now he has kids, and one of them who was supposed to die is sticking around, and he's causing all sorts of trouble. Yeah, it's it's Malik's father actually is who it is because then it's his kids are. Right, and then it's his kids are the ones. It's the oh, right, Gideon yeah, and father, yeah. Nathaniel. Yeah, I thought that was. I thought it was fun to tie it back into the Maliks. Like, if you have to, if you have to kind of like dig into their history in order to get a final season villain, I thought like grounding it in the Maliks, who were such a big deal in season three, and Art and Gideon Malik, of course, is in the Avengers as part of the World Council, so it kind of links back to the to the proper MCU as well. I thought that was a nice way of going about it, um, but. I'm curious, like, going further into the season, how did Nathaniel Malik, as, like, the person who ended up being pretty much the big bad of at least the first half, you know, it kind of, actually more like the middle segment of the, of the, of the season is where he really is peak big bad, and then towards the end, he has to team the Chronicoms become more of an issue. Um, So, but how did he work as a big bad for you? Um, Well, he kind of... He came off definitely at the beginning as a, like really a spoiled brat, which I mean he was. So, um, I, I only really took him seriously as a villain once he got powers, um, and they did a fake out making them think that he died, but then he comes back. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was and pretty... that was when I really started to take him seriously. Yeah, but did you did you like him as a villain? Because really, a lot of the second half of the season kind of hinges on him being this menacing force that's like resurrecting, like saving saving a bunch of bad guys from their inevitable deaths, and and kind of bringing them onto his team, and uh, and just kind of his whole 
thing about peace for anarchy and all of that stuff. Like, how did that work for you? Well, I think as an the actor who plays him has a good presence, but um, he he definitely like sometimes it's like this guy's going to team up with the Chronicoms. Like they they don't seem compatible with like their missions. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like like they were working with his dad or whatever, but like. Like he has a very like set like this is what I want to make the future, and the Chronicoms want to destroy Shield, so it, it didn't really seem like they meshed. I, I kept waiting for a, a point where they were going to turn on each other, and that never really happened. No, not really. I I agree. I guess the closest thing to turning on them was like he is disobedient uh, a couple of times towards the end, but they never really go at each other. They it the Chronicoms and Nathaniel Malick to me had a very kind of like '90s Batman movie villain team up energy to them. Where it's like <laughs> like the two of, like you talked with uh, with Josh on one of your podcasts recently about like Batman and uh, one of those Batman movies was it Batman, Batman Forever? Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, that's totally the energy that these two had, where it's just like, are these, these villains have nothing to do with each other, and their odds seem to be pretty contrary to to right. each other, but I guess they both hate Batman, so let's see what happens. It's just like, I don't know, like, do they just throw a dart at the at a couple of boards and end up that way? Like, that's totally the energy that oh, these villains had for me. Batman and Robin, like, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy had like no reason to work together. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole I think their thing was like he'll freeze the world and then I'll be able to grow my plants. And it's like wait, no, no, like that's you won't not be able how to live there. <laughs> yeah, like what? I don't, I don't get this at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, so it wasn't that it wasn't that bad, but it definitely it did seem like a an unlikely alliance. Um, but um. I had to justify it a couple of times. It felt very sad to me, where they were just like, well, like, like the, I think what they were going for is that he just wants power, and he, he likes the idea of anarchy, um, but maybe that's a little bit of a front. Maybe he just wants power, and they're basically saying, like, you help us destroy the world, and you'll be the human in charge uh, of whatever is left of humanity when we take over the planet. And it's like, all right, I mean, I guess, but I'm pretty sure they're just going to kill him as soon as they're done with their plan. <laughs> so... He's like, and if we know that, like, why doesn't he know that? Like, is he supposed to be dumb? And, like, I never really had a clear handle on on what the show wanted us to think about him and how real he was as a threat and how much, how seriously we should be taking him as a as a villain. Right. No, I I, I would agree with that. Um, but it's just like once he gets comes back is dressed in all black, you know, he means business. <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> i do think that he has like a i agree with you he has a certain vibe that um like that actor brings to the role where he's just kind of like you just want to like step on him you know he's like mm -hmm. very like he gets under your skin in a way that uh you almost resent the fact that he can because he's so annoying but like annoying in a, in a very particular way that feels purposeful so mm -hmm. i thought that he brought that energy that was pretty strong yeah um, and um, but... i don't know about a lot of people on twitter but i think once he stole daisy's powers a lot of people like and he came back everyone's like they gotta fight they're like I, like and then like once he killed jiang they're like like they have to fight yeah and then i don't know what did you think of that fight in the finale like did you think that it paid off that all of that kind of 
Like, it really did feel like at a certain point they were setting up, like, Nathaniel and Daisy as Endgame. Like, as, like, they're the two super-powered beings that are, like, they're the, they're nemeses now, and they have to destroy each other. And it's just, like, I don't, I don't know if they really built up to that well enough, and I don't know how invested I was in that because there's also so much other stuff spinning around in the finale but but how did that final conflict go for you well she definitely had a vendetta against him um so i think it worked in i think that worked because he's like he's like he stole her powers he killed her mom he's corrupted her sister so she has a lot of reasons to hate him yeah um, on paper it all makes sense i just don't know if i really felt it enough because there was always so much else happening and there was the whole chronicon thing looming over it all and i just don't know how invested i felt in it even though you're right on paper he did a lot to make her specifically be the one that has to kind of take him down yeah um i mean i thought the fight was entertaining um i was surprised he had the upper hand for a lot of it um i mean we're talking about daisy who's had these powers for like most of the seasons yeah yeah, I think that um, they kept cutting away from the fight, and I think we were supposed to we were supposed to fill in the blanks in terms of what was happening when they would cut away. Um, so my impression of it was that it was kind of like an evenly matched thing, but maybe like one or two edits made it seem like he was kind of get, getting the upper hand. Um, maybe so that way you could kind of feel like, oh no, is he going to kill Daisy? Even though like he's well, not yeah, I mean, kill if, Daisy. They, if, if they have Daisy totally destroying that, it's not going to be exciting at all. I mean, I understand that. Yeah, but I, I think that they felt pretty evenly matched up until a very specific point. And that was right around the point when, like, I feel like the, the show wanted the audience to question whether she would survive. But then also, it felt like they were also telling us something else. And they were, which was that, like, this was just a distraction. And, like, she's just trying to stall him. And that's why maybe she's not going 100% like she could, you know? And then and then it kind of, like, immediately made more sense. Um and I think it worked pretty, and I thought that that worked pretty well as a result. I just, like, as a kind of, like, mono mono kind of battle of, for the soul of, like, uh, Korra or whatever was supposed, to, uh, whatever investment I was supposed to feel in that, I just didn't feel it as strongly because I just cared about other stuff more, honestly, that was happening or grounded at that moment. Yeah, um, and I'm glad you bring up Korra because I don't know if that's a character that resonated with you or not. Uh, so I, I like the idea of her. I like the idea of the fact that, like, it helps kind of shade in Jiang's backstory a lot, where it, where she, where she gets to be a virtuous person in the past and yet have this terrible tragedy that kind of both births Daisy, but also births this sort of, uh, cynicism about the world, this coldness that ends up being her downfall and being what gets in the way of her and Daisy having a true relationship. So I liked that as a retcon. Um, and I liked the, and I liked the idea that like all of the stuff that as it relates to Daisy. So the idea that she like turns herself in so that way she can try to manipulate Daisy because the Chronicoms know that she's going to be swayed by family, but really like they're underestimating how close she is to Simmons and she wants to save Simmons. And that's who she thinks of as her real sister. And I thought that was a very nice moment for the character. Um, and I like the way that they kind of, um, they use her as sort of a, it's almost like a shadow version of what we got in the series. Like what, like, what would have happened if 
Daisy went with Ward instead of ter- instead of not being seduced by Ward's like vil- evil villainy and worldview. You know, like uh, Nathaniel was very much kind of like a, a shadow version of like the Nathaniel and Cora relationship felt like a shadow version of the of the Ward Daisy non relationship in the early parts of the season. So I liked I liked all of that. Um, I I just don't know if maybe we had enough time with the character to really be invested in her personal like moral crisis that she was having towards the end like you just you really have to do so much in such a short amount of time to make that work and I just think that they maybe bit off a little bit too much in that point where it's just like is she a villain is she really a good person who's being seduced by the dark side is she compromising herself because she's in love is she compromising herself because uh, like she believes in this higher purpose and she, and she's being misled. Like there was a lot of kind of like every episode they had a new idea on who Cora was and it just felt a little inconsistent. Um, oh, I, so then I told, by the, I told you. you. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so then by the time that you get to the finale and it's like, oh, she needs to turn to to the good guys and like have this crisis of faith it's like i don't know how invested i can possibly be in this because she felt like a different person in every single episode that we've gotten and we only got like three episodes of her before this so that was that's my criticism of the character but i really liked as i said how she impacted the show um with in a variety of other reasons like like i said like through jaying and through daisy like i liked the way she was used there. I just I just couldn't be invested in her own moral choices in the end. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty similar. Like how did she work for you as a as a character overall? Uh, yeah, I I you know I kinda like I kinda like the idea of Daisy having a secret sister she didn't know about. Um and and, and just the fact that their relationship is so complicated. But yeah, her motivations just seem to be I wish they had just picked one because, I mean, uh, when when she came and was like, oh, I want to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, we should just go into the past and kill all these people. I was like, whoa, what, what is she talking about? Yeah, and, like, I guess that was supposed to be, like, a front, like, she was just lying. But yeah, it, yeah. Speaks, it speaks to how ill-defined the character is that in that moment, you really don't know at all if she's lying or if she's telling the truth like there's just no sense of what's real not because they're doing this great misdirect but because we really just don't know who the character is at all you know mm-hmm. right because and i think that that's a problem that the show has had in the past like they sometimes lean more into surprise than in uh than into telling a, sh- a strong story you know and i think that that could be uh, a little bit to their detriment from time to time and where it's like they they prioritize the big reveal and the surprise like subversion of expectations over telling a coherent story with consistently written characters um they you know over seven seasons they've told many great stories and have developed their characters in a lot of good ways but i think that if i had to say one of their one of their uh one of their faults along the way is definitely that penchant for like wanting to to turn the table and and shock the audience over actually telling a coherent story. Yeah, I can see that. But um, one other thing, like a big part of this the season that I wanted to get to before we kind of dig in deep into the finale is the the absence of Fitz. You know, Le- Leo Fitz, core character, 
really important to the kind of emotional texture of this team. He's often described as the heart of the team. He's the one who, in earlier seasons, when one of the team members will will act selfishly or will uh, not be honest, he's the one who's always the most upset and offended. This team is really a family to him, even more so than Daisy and Coulson in a lot of ways. Um, we really dive into his backstory as to and the trauma that he faced with his father and why that might be that he's so attached to the team. He is also the one part of the epic love story of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Fitzsimmons <laughs> love story, <laughs> where it's just like every single ep- every single season, they're like, how can we keep them apart this year? It's like, is it a plane? Is it a bus? Is it a dimension it through time? Like we're gonna do something to get them, keep them apart. Um, and yet in this final season, he shows up for one episode you know he gets a he gets a tease in the very last scene of the of the first half of the finale uh mm-hmm. and then he is plays a central role in the last episode but otherwise he's completely absent from the entire season what, what do you think about that as like a story choice and then also just as a fan watching the show um as a story choice um i mean i'm not against it as on paper, I'm not against it, but I don't know his 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 absence was just so conspicuous because like his face is still like they had like the poster or whatever, like his face mm. is still on there. But just like okay, when are we gonna see Fitz? Like yeah. they they kept us in suspense the whole time. They're like Fitz is doing something really important. So I felt like um, I don't have a problem with taking a character and then shelving them for a while. Um, Really what I thought was, I was wondering, did the actor ask to have less time on the show? Because he wanted to do other projects, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah, that is something that obviously the fan base has been speculating a lot about. Like I've, I'm part of some like Reddit boards and things like that and there where people are diving into like the product what was the production schedule of the final season of shield did that conflict with the production schedule of any other projects that he was on like where they're trying to like match up day to day and based on that um amateur reporting uh, and investigating uh, there isn't really any example of like something that he was working on that would have kept him away from the show um but it is so conspicuous that it feels like it feels like he just wanted to be on one. Like he was like, I'll come back for the finale, but otherwise I don't want to really do this season. And I don't know, you know, contracts like network contracts usually run seven seasons. So everybody was signed up for the, for the full seven seasons. I'm assuming, you know, based on just like the way that the standard network contracts go. So I, if he wanted to not be a part of it, it must've been something that he just expressed. And then uh, the, the writer's, honored because and it does sort of feel that way more than actually like just from a pure storytelling perspective because it feels like if it was just for the story's sake they would have him off the canvas for a while but then for the last couple of episodes he would at least appear you know like they did this in season in season five where he's missing for the first like three or four episodes but then you get like one episode where he is it's all him and he's the star of every scene and you see what he was up to. And then he like rejoins the team. And I was kind of expecting that to happen at some point. And then they just start teasing that. Well, maybe he's dead. And it's like, well, there's no way that. Oh, you imagine if he was dead, how unsatisfying <laughs> that would have been. It just seems impossible that they would have done that. Like, the, oh, like, 
like who are they like it's not like this is a show that has a huge fan base right like it's not like it's a show that's getting like 10 million viewers an episode so you're really just have like this core fan base that's been following you for seven years why would you do that to your fans to just like (laughs) murder fits off screen and have it be revealed in a flashback like that would be so cruel to do to your fan base so I just I, I never really thought that they would do that and the more that they teased it the more I was I felt it was a little bit obnoxious of them because it's like they're not they're setting us up for a misdirection they did not kill him off screen there's just no way they did that right yeah and I never believed they did um. <laughs> I mean, at one point, they even, like, I think this was in the finale, in, like, the two-part finale, they even have Nathaniel say to the seer, uh, like, uh, of the Chronicoms, she says, you know, I don't even think it matters. He's probably dead anyway. And that just felt like the, the that just felt like the writers giving, like, the audience, like, the final go-ahead of, like, he's not really dead. Because if he was dead, we would have never let this character say that in that moment (laughs) you don't have a big reveal of like and he's dead if like two scenes before you have a your villain just be like he's probably dead so that was when i was like they're definitely he's definitely not dead now but it just was like why are you stringing this along so much like let us see fits so yeah i i think it you know i have no evidence to back this up but it just feels it feels like if it was from a story reason they would have at least let him be in the final two episodes of this season you know (laughs) right and I think that's the big, uh, like I said, on paper, I'm not against taking a cast member and like shelving them for a while, but that's really like the, um, the risk you run is if you do that, people are going to be like, oh, well, there must be something wrong happening, you know, in production or, and, and, and just, it takes focus away from the story. You know, what, what the purpose of their absence is in the story is just like, it must be some other reason. Right, yeah, like, it reminds me a little bit of, like, the, I don't know, have you ever watched the show The Good the Good Wife on CBS? No, but I know it. Okay, yeah, so it's, like, a procedural, it's, like, a law procedural um, kind of drama that we aired on CBS for a number of years, and it's, like, mm-hmm. oh, and it had these two characters, like, there was a star of the show, um, played by Juliana Margulies, um, and she, her best friend on the show, like, she was a lawyer, and her best friend on the show was this, a character called Kalinda, who was the firm's investigator. And at some point, they just stopped sharing scenes together. First, they would, like, only talk to each other over the phone. And then they would just, like, not talk to each other at all for many episodes. And then they would just, like, have a phone call. And you're just, like, all of a sudden, two seasons had gone by. And they just had never shared a scene together. And you're, like, wait, what is going on? <laughs> like, something's up. Like, why are they never in a scene together anymore? And, like, the show just would not acknowledge it. And then she finally left the show... And they did this horrible thing where this is a little bit of a tangent, but they actually like for her last scene, they had the two actors be at a bar together, but they digitally stitched the scene together. So that way, like the one actress was on the set and performed her role. And then the other actress was on the set at a different time and performed her side of the conversation. And they just like stitched it together into one shot through editing (laughs) and like at that point it was very at that point like everybody knew that they're like something had happened between those two actors where they would not be on the set at the same time together and no one ever knew what like it's still one of uh, network tv's greatest mysteries but something happened and it became such a huge distraction on the show because it was just like this is a core relationship and you're just not allowed to have it anymore because something's going on and it did kind of feel that way with the whole Fitzsimmons thing, because like Fitz and Simmons 
are the emotional heart of this sh- of the show like they are the romance that you get like you know daisy has a boyfriend here a boyfriend there they like have a kiss once or twice they die they break up whatever and she seems to always have a new love interest and they never really work and so the show kind of jettisons them um and like colson you know he dated what's her face who was running that rival agency for a while and then she died and he was all like my girlfriend you know but <laughs> man what's just on this show like because may had like an ex-husband too like love interest on this show had like we're dropping like flies i have to tell you yeah they are mostly just cannon fodder honestly for the plot to be amped up but uh but through all of it you know we had jenna Gemma, and we had fitz and they were they were the love story they were best friends they clearly cared about each other they didn't want to take it to that level they were afraid to be vulnerable then they finally did then uh, they one of them got brain damage from being on the bottom of the ocean, saving the other one. So then they were separated for a while. Then, then they finally got reconnected. But then Gemma got sucked into a, a warp hole and ended up on a planet for a while. But then they reconnected, <laughs> and then uh, Gemma got sent to the future, and Fitz got left behind. But then they connected again. And so you know, every season there was a reason why they they were not together and then they got together, but they were like the central sort of romance and then to just have that completely absent from the whole final season, it just felt like we were missing something that was really important to me. Yeah, no, I I, I Yeah, I I agree. It's just it's not not maybe the the, the best creative choice, but again, we don't know what exactly happened. Yeah, and I I agree with you too. Like I love the bold choice of taking a main character off the board for a while. I think that that's a great idea, and I think there's a lot of rich storytelling potential that you could do, like they did in season five when Fitz was gone for a handful of episodes. But I just for it to be the final season and to get so little of your central couple, it just kind of was it was it was lacking. It was it was a core aspect of the show that I missed. Um, their a core aspect of the show came back this season, though, in the form of original recipe Phil Coulson. Um, after a season, original where, recipe. Sorry, Phil <laughs> after a season where Clark Gregg got to uh, try his best to be a pretty unconvincing villain, I have to say, uh, he came back as a robot version of himself. And um, what did you think about bringing him back in that fashion and how he worked over the course of the season? Oh, uh, now this is this is interesting because when they brought him back at the end of. And I was sort of semi-invested with Sarge. I mean, I can definitely see where you're like, Clark Craig is just too nice of a guy to see him as being like an effective villain. Um, but um, when they brought him back at the end of season six with the LMD, I'm like, like they just, they just can't let Clark Craig leave the show. Like they're just afraid to do it. But then some of the stuff they did with the character, uh, with the colson lmd character had me you know more invested where he's really grappling you know with who he is and like you know he's not colson but he has his memories he's not really human he's all he's also like part chronicom too so he's like he's like whose side should he be on um mm-hmm. um so i actually really and, and i think it's just he he even though he's not colson he has colson's personality so maybe i just missed colson's personality so there's a sort of jovialness to him um you know the way he talks with everybody 
you know, he'll crack a joke every once in a while. Like, so you, you had that missing from last season. So, uh, it was, it was nice to have that back. And I ended up, uh, I ended up being invested in the character. Yeah. I completely agree with all of that. I, I am someone who really, really wants his shows to allow the characters to progress and allow the status quo to change because that's the way that the world works in real life. And I hate it when shows just reset the status quo at the end of the season because it just feels so unrealistic. And that seems like a silly thing to say about a show about robots and aliens and (laughs) (laughs) time travel. But it just, when you're trying to take the characters seriously, if they are never allowed to get out of the boxes that they started in, it just becomes so hard to care after a while. And so when I saw the show kill Coulson at the end of season five, I thought, wow, that's a really bold choice. And that's going to like, that's like, they spent a whole half of the season kind of setting up this whole idea of like what the characters would be like without him and like them trying to have, trying to figure a way to say goodbye and not being able to grapple with that loss. And then they, and then they killed him. And I was like, this is great. This is going to give, all of these characters a chance to really evolve as people and really grow in a new direction with new responsibilities without like their dad around basically you know and then they immediately decide like oh he's not really gone he's actually a bad guy now from another planet i'm just like this sucks and it's not (laughs) i was super upset with it and i think that that storyline has a lot of problems mostly because they spent uh, too much time trying to be like, is he really Coulson? What is his deal? And it's like, we did that in season one and it was not interesting then. So why are we going back to the well now, six, five seasons later? But um, what I did like about that story is that it really let, especially Daisy and uh, May, really mourn Coulson and move past him, right? Like in order to fight Sarge, they needed to let go of their attachment to Coulson and really really believed that he was gone for good, right? And so then, and I thought, okay, that's like at least something that we can salvage from this kind of a a subpar storyline. But then you end the season with, oh, Coulson is back as a robot. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Like you're just now for a second year in a row, just undermining the, the emotional story that you were telling. But what I think that this show did really well this season, and you kind of echoed this already, is that all of the characters treat him like he is not their Coulson right like they are happy for him to be back and he's like a part of the team and on a certain level it feels like I still have my person that I miss but they never really fully made him like they never fully treated him like he was the original Coulson that they had grieved and lost right he was just a way to have a version of that back, but not the same person, right? So like they still cared about him, but like he wasn't the father figure to Daisy that Coulson was. And he wasn't the romantic uh, partner to May that Coulson was, right? He was a he was a like a ghost in their life and like a pleasant reminder of who they loved without being the person that they loved. And I thought that like was very subtle but that difference really meant a lot to me as a viewer because it meant that the characters weren't regressing. But we still got to have, like you said, that aspect that only Clark Gregg could bring to the show, back into the show, which was really a welcomed return. So I think they they kind of split the difference in a pretty remarkable way that I just had no confidence that they could because it's such a challenging thing where they allowed the characters to continue to progress while also 
bringing this part of the show that was missing back into the show, which we really needed, it turned out. Um, and then they did all of that while still telling an interesting story about a person who's not a person, but used to be a person. And what does that mean? <laughs> and, and like, they were able to tell that story sort of in the background of a couple of episodes. And it was really interesting. And I think that they kind of nailed it with the amount of time that they had at least. So yeah, I, it turns out that is like a weird, surprising highlight of the series of the season for me. Yeah. Once, once you get like, it was, either the episode before the finale he's like he, he's come to terms with kind of who he is he's like he's like i like the new me and you know you know this is okay i'm gonna you know and um i was i was happy for the character yeah absolutely um so now kind of like diving into the finale specifically what did you think of the sort of the big reveal that was the Fitzsimmons master plan, right? Where we get it kind of in flashback and they put all the pieces together and and you realize that the whole plan all along was to kind of, to create this tortured timeline and abandon it to get back to where they started from and that whole sequence. How did that work for you? Well, it's interesting because like immediately, like the, the episode before the review, I said like, old timeline's gone. It's just gone. I, I, I says like, don't, you know, the question is how different is this new timeline going to be? And then they're like, no, it's still there. It's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because a lot, of, was... a lot of the fan speculation online was like, oh, like, because we, this show has deviated from the main MCU so much over like between like, and like infinity war and end game that it was like, okay, well it's completely off the reservation so maybe they're they're messing up this whole timeline so that way they could reset a timeline and get back into the the cinematic version of the mcu and like that was what a lot of people thought this whole season was for oh, that and would I, have been really oh that would have been a convoluted way to do it but <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely would have been convoluted but, uh, uh, i don't know if what they got was less convoluted though <laughs> oh no i was about to say because when fitz comes and he's like He's talking about all these like possibilities in time. It's sort of like you're in class and the teacher is like talking too fast. So you can't like get all the notes down. Like it felt like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like it was, he's uh, trying to explain time travel to the cast and to the, the, the viewers. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and part of me was just like, just time travel. like he had to talk about time travel and he had to unveil the master plan and he had to say what the whole like everything that had happened leading up to the master plan and he had to be like but we still have more stuff to do it was i feel bad for like ian decaster like he had so much in one monologue to have to accomplish and it was just impossible to to, to really pull off and they i don't think they did <laughs> i think that eventually i was i, I was i was i was kind of lost and especially since they'd be like, we're going to take you back to what happened at the end of season six. I'm like, that was so long ago. I don't remember what happened at the end of season six. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they, they showed the temple blowing up. It's like, did that happen? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that was a big, that, that, that was a big ask. <laughs> so, so that happened. Um, but I, I think, you know, once they got, you know, they did that. They got out of the quantum realm, which I didn't know they were going to bring into the show. Because, you know, 
we had talked about how they've kind of like jettisoned um, tying into the MCU because they didn't really do any of that for uh, season six. Yeah, because, because season six, Kevin Feige was like, you're not allowed to know what happens in Endgame. So sorry that your show comes out right after Endgame debuts, but we're not letting you know anything because we don't trust your production to keep it quiet. So they yeah. just had to like make that season in a vacuum and they had no choice. Yeah, um, well, if we're going on tangents, I know I've let you go on the tangents a bit, but, but just if we're talking about the show's relation to the MCU. I was always a part that was a little disappointed. They didn't try to fit it more together, but then I sort of understand, especially with these last two seasons that they diverged. I mean, it definitely gave them more creative uh, possibilities, not being tied down to, I mean, especially like what happened between like, infinity war and endgame like that would like they would have to jump like three years in the future just to like make a convincing storyline so like that all automatically like was probably throwing wrenches and stuff um i just wish that part of me wishes that one of these characters would have shown up in one of the movies in like the background or something like they would have like fits working on but but like the storylines never fit fit right. Like if Shield hadn't fallen, then that would have been like super easy. Have Fitz be on like uh one of the hail carriers. It'd be like he's you know he's doing this project for somebody. We don't have to acknowledge it. But so I was kind of disappointed that I think Kevin Feige is really great at his job, but I think he sort of maybe. And it could just be because he has so much to juggle. He didn't want to have to juggle TV too. Well, and what it, so the truth of this and, and they're kind of, they set up these expectations. So it's really on them for creating this expectation and then not being able to deliver on it because the whole, when they launched agents of shields, like the whole marketing campaign was, it's all connected. It's all, yeah, connected. It's all connected. There's all yeah. the pieces. So, so they completely created this problem for themselves. It didn't need to be there. But the the reason why that they were not able to connect it, like they did a lot of press where they were like, well, it's spiritually connected. Well, we're kind of like bouncing off each other. But like the, the truth is that like the production schedules are so different and it's so hard and this, that and the other thing. And it's like, I'm sure there's some truth to that because yes, like you're writing a script for years, whereas you don't necessarily know where things are going to land. And then a season of TV is is happening on a much shorter timeline and, and you kind of need to know what's happening. But I think that if they wanted to make that work, they could have made that work. And we know that because like, you know, they're doing it now on Disney plus, like they're, they aren't producing those shows in exactly the same way that a, that the network TV model was producing their shows. But like at a certain point, the script gets mostly locked on a production and then you could like let them, the writer's room of S.H.I.E.L.D. know where things are headed and then they could write towards that if they wanted to in certain parts and then they could sync up in certain ways. Um, even if you couldn't necessarily have characters from the TV show be in the movies because like the movie doesn't necessarily know where the TV show characters are going to be in a year and a half when the, sh the movie comes out. Right. So that I understand, but not but going the other way, like the show not being able to know what's happening in the movies felt always 
not totally honest about that spin. But then what we eventually learned was that Marvel TV and Marvel Films were separate divisions of Marvel. And they didn't have a good working relationship with each other, especially as the Marvel movies became more powerful and more successful and Feige got more and more influence. And he really didn't want to be shackled by the TV side at all. Like they were separate divisions and he was doing his thing and they were doing their thing. And the marketing team is the one that said, oh, it's all connected. But that that was not what Feige's plan was. And so that's kind of that's why that connection was brief and it sort of broke down slowly over the course of the seasons of shield yeah okay i can see that and we'll never know but it is, we won't it's never entirely know their that, own fault like yeah entire, yeah we'll never know that expectation for to, you know if they were doing two different productions i mean they're still the same parent company but we'll never know you know who's the main person to point the finger at um we just know who are some of the key players but um... yeah and like with the disney plus stuff like that is like if you haven't followed the news in terms and like the the production side of things uh, marvel tv has been dissolved it no longer exists um and marvel and the marvel film division is entirely in charge of the new uh disney plus content and also uh kevin feige is who is in charge of the the marvel uh um the Marvel film side of things. He, uh, around Age of Ultron, got autonomy away from the rest of Marvel completely, um, where he no longer had to answer to the Marvel CEO and he had to answer directly to the Disney uh, CEO. And that was basically the last straw for It's All Connected because that was, he then was just allowed to do whatever he wanted as long as Disney was okay with it and he didn't have to contend with the inner politics of Marvel outside of that at all. And now since then, um, he has now become kind of like the chief creative officer for all of Marvel, including like the comic books and everything. He's kind of taking complete control over that entire division now. And now they're making TV shows where he's in charge. So I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So he, he's pretty much like the most, in terms of like create, creativity in Hollywood, he's like the head creative out there right now. Yeah, well, especially if you consider, like, the success and size of, like, Marvel's output, it definitely, he is, he's one of the most important person, people in Hollywood, for sure. And like I said, I think for the most part, he's done a great job. I just, you know, everybody, you know, not everything's going to be a home run. Um, But getting back to this show, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a useful, I think that it was a good tangent to go on because, a lot of what people who don't watch the show regularly know about the show is the whole it's all connected like marketing campaign, which then everybody knows wasn't true. So I think it's it was we would be remiss not to mention it and explain it a little bit to our audience in our last episode of Shield. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, going back to the finale and like the final our final thoughts on how well things worked like I guess the, I want to I want to take it in two steps one the ultimate resolution of the chronicoms and all of that and like how that played for you and then we can talk about like where all the characters ended up okay yeah so with the chronicoms they had their sort of solution and uh figuring it out and it went in a direction I I don't know if anyone could have guessed I mean it, <laughs> maybe if you're paying attention you were um they 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 hijack the uh the main chronicon ship and they 
hook uh may up to it who we haven't really talked about she her encounter with Izel in the last uh uh season she was in like the fear dimension or whatever they called it and she came back yeah. with um like empathic powers she could feel what other people were feeling and Which is it, like sure, <laughs> like I don't. Yeah, it was. It was why it, that happened. Yeah, um, it, it was. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know where to go with this, and that ends up being like the um, like the linchpin in like their plan to uh, defeat the Chronicoms, um, which I think I like that it make it makes it important. Um, I just maybe I would have hoped for something a little more climatic. Um, but I don't know yeah. what that would have I don't know what that would have I, been. I mean, we've had enough punching and kicking, so maybe, you know, we need to have somebody be clever and figure things out on their own. But, um... Yeah, uh, I, did, I didn't mind the way that that ended. I, it definitely, I, you couldn't have predicted it, because I don't think that we knew until that scene that that was how... Uh, the lead Chronicom controlled the other Chronicoms. <laughs> so I don't think we could have possibly have predicted that that was where things were ending. I don't know. Was that something that we were supposed to know ahead of time? That, like, she had telepathic control over them, but through this, like, this machine on the ship? Well, not... Cause, cause, that's not something that I picked up ahead of time. No, because I mean, Enoch was one of the... Was, Enoch was the Chronicom that we had the most experience with and it, it sort of is weird because we never really got the sense of like what is what level of individuality does a chronicom have because it seemed like there are certain factions there were a few that wanted to help shield enoch and then uh, like some other guy um like there were a few of them that helped them in the past couple seasons i i guess like there are different factions of Chronicoms and the bigger faction was the bad guys. Um, but you know, most of them seem kind of like mindless drones, but I don't know. Yeah. I just don't think that they really ever properly established that. Like it doesn't make, if they were all empathically linked to the control of fortune teller lady, like then why <laughs> was Enoch allowed to bring, way in the first place you know like i don't see how that makes any kind of sense um because they're just robots so wouldn't he not have control over that like with but they just don't even go there um and yeah i mean it just i don't it also it really like a good version of this would be that all season long you're building up to may having this empathetic this empathy power and trying to like figure out how to use it to help um, and have it be, have it become an an asset into her in her arsenal, and then finally you reach this culmination of her using it to save the day. That's and maybe that's what it is on paper, but that's not at all how it felt. It felt a lot more like, well, we're doing this thing with her. Oh, we could use that as a way out of this problem. You know, like it just like felt kind of like thrown together, and then just like a retroactive justification for doing it with her for the whole season. Um, I think that the real reason why they were doing it was just like, well. Colson is back, but he's different because he's really a robot. So let's have May come back to life, but she's different too. Now she can feel things and she never used to be able to feel before, which is like unfair to the character because she felt plenty. She just was she just repressed those emotions and kept them inside. 
because she didn't feel comfortable to express them outwardly. But she was an emotional character. I, I, I really don't appreciate the way they kind of used her empathy powers as a way to be like, look, see, now she cares about people and, and can actually show it. It's like... I, you know that felt a little unsophisticated right yeah it's like it's like she wasn't smiling all the time but she felt stuff on the inside she just wasn't sharing it yeah exactly and like i get that it's like well now she's so overwhelmed with the motion that she can't help but show it but i don't know i feel like that was a little bit unfair to the character <laughs> um but it, it just feels right, like we got this into was her like, backstory we'll we learned things about like when she had to take and they mentioned in the past like few episodes when she had to take out that human girl i think Right. That's yeah. why they called her the cavalry. And like that uh, was a huge like thing for her and then her relationship with her ex-husband. So like, yeah, she had a lot of more emotional depth than I think they were appreciating. Yeah, I fully agree. I did and as a as a fan of May and as a fan of a lot of what they did with her character over the years, it just felt like they were kind of, you know, selling her a little bit short. So that way they could really push this idea of like, ah, oh, she's now a different person than she used to be. Um and but I mean it did it did lead to some comedic moments, you know, with her feeling other people's feelings like that cert and having to adjust to that. Like that definitely um had yielded some comedy um over the course of the season. But it definitely felt kind of like a slapdash, like, oh, we'll use this, and then that'll solve all of the problems, kind of way. It also felt very, like, Star Trek to me, where it's like, oh, this this alien race of robots, uh, once they learn how to feel like humans, then they will be our friends. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. And that's also why when she was like, when she dropped through the sky and was like, it's the cavalry, I was like, wait, no, she doesn't call herself the cavalry. That was like an insult, but that yeah, was a yeah, I did, really I did. emotionally hostile thing that she had to deal with. And it was just like a fun callback. Like they were just like, oh, look, we'll do a fun callback to the first few seasons. We'll have her call herself the cavalry. It's like, what? Yeah, that's a good point because it wasn't really a positive thing that people said about her. No. And part of it is because people didn't know the full story, but. Yeah, but we but we knew but that we she knew. felt very triggered by that as a nickname, and that was that was established in like episode one. And it's like, I don't know, I, I guess maybe they were trying to say that like she's reclaiming it for herself now, but I, they did not put the work in to justify that if that's where they were going with it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, but that's that's how they, uh, that's how they resolved that conflict. Yeah, where it's like, oh, and it's also, I mean, this is very, like, high-minded sci-fi uh, of them, but it's just like, if we let the robots feel like people do, then they'll just be our friends. It's like, have you looked around and seen what other humans who feel like humans feel? As? <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't know if that's going to help, um, but... But yeah, it was, you know, it, at that point, we're not invested, really, or at least I wasn't super invested in how they resolved this, the end seat of it. I was more like, we have to get there so we could figure out how the series resolves. So let's just get on with it. Um, and that's, and they do. And that's when you get the reveal of like that, oh, the, the, the ominous blood test that they referred to in the last episode was not that Fitz was dying, which was another dumb misdirect, where it's like, he's not dying! Like, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> so, it was like, no, it was a pregnancy test. That's what the blood result, the blood test was. And they had a kid, and that's why they took time off, and they raised their child until she was about five, and then they were like, alright, now it's good time to save the world. I don't 
get how they decided when to do that when they had all the time. Like, why not wait until she was 18 or 15 and then she could have helped? I don't like, I thought well, that was I mean, you have to understand, of course, if they did that, then they'd be like, well, the actors would have aged noticeably, so we can't do that. So I guess that's actually probably why you're probably 100% right. They were like, look, we already have Susa in age makeup that we're going to mostly bail on after the first episode. So <laughs> we, we can't have them in age makeup too. But um, but yeah, like, how did that whole reveal work for you? Um, I think that you see, I sort of fell on and off the uh, the Fitzsimmons uh sort of love train or whatever you want to call it. I the the I got invested in it when he was searching for her in season three, and when she mm-hmm. she was with the astronaut on that other planet because I'm like, oh wow, that's really throws a wrench in everything because now she has feelings for him and then he's still out there and stuff like that and then mm-hmm. he died then they got together and then what i think was they did that stuff with fitz character in the framework um where i was like he's like now he's like a murderer and she has he's like a murderous fascist nazi for a while yeah, yeah she has to like come like they both have to come to terms with that's who he was on that side um and i i just feel like i think that was enough that they didn't have to do any more with their relationship but then at the end of season five they had the present day him killed off like he got like a roof fell on him or something and, <laughs> yeah yeah you got, and they you had to they had to find the other version of him that was floating in space um and reunite with him. And I thought that was just a little too, I think they were asking a little too much of the viewers. It'd be like, come on, just, just give us like, they, they're together. You don't have to do this anymore. But I think that them having a daughter, I think this, this is the reward for the people who's, you know, who were patient, who really were invested in that relationship. Um, I, I, I've never been a heavy shipper, but I, I'm sure many shipper cried that night (laughs) well and it's also a reward for people who are invested in deke right because deke is their grandson um and from an alternate timeline uh which is very x-men of them by the way i like that they like kept him around and it's just like yeah that timeline doesn't exist anymore but he's still here it's just like what happened with like a lot of random x-men characters we're just like yeah we're just uh refugees from fallen timelines and now we're just part of the team it's like what so i like <laughs> i like that they did that because that felt very comic booky. but um but yeah if you're a fan of that character you're really invested in the fact that like fitz and simmons have a daughter so that way she can then possibly meet up with fitz's dad at some point and have fitz even if it kind of defies like all like uh statistical expectations i guess because of course um for people who didn't see that season uh fitz was born as uh the grandson oh deke yeah deke Deke. yeah sorry deke yeah deke was the grandson so deke is the grandson that the team meets in the future um and they and he is the product of a relationship that uh fitz and simmons daughter has with a man when they're all on this kind of like satellite that is rotating around a fault like the destroyed earth um so i feel like the odds of her like growing up and and meeting uh, that, that guy again person, yeah <laughs> yeah seems kind of 
seems like a stretch, but maybe it's destiny and we'll still get Fitz somewhere down the line. We'll still get Deke somewhere down the line. I don't know why I keep doing that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that was a nice payoff for both of those people. Because Deke fans are, they're a particular breed, but there's a lot of them out there I've, I've seen. on People who like a show that could be, like, they when they, they like that uh, he brings a little bit more levity and a little bit more silliness to the series, which is so funny because he came in in the first arc of season five, and he was this kind of, like, badass sort of, you know, like, Star-Lord-esque person from the future and that it just like they immediately saw I guess that the actor could do comedy really well and so they just completely swerved in the other direction and just made him be like a lovable puppy and um I'm glad because he he nailed it I mean his big showcase this season was the season was the episode where in that takes place in the 80s where he uh he becomes a a rock god by stealing other people's music (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know what lesson that's that's teaching people that it's okay to steal other people's music as long as it's in a different timeline. Yeah, well, you know what? I think that the morality of that situation isn't something that we need to be super worried about since <laughs> it's possible to get caught up on. You know, it's like, well, I, I think that it's, if you're like, the only time that it's acceptable to steal is if you go back into the past and steal future people's ideas. It's like, all right, I guess we'll make that as a corollary. Uh, and that's where, that's where that Deke ends up. He stays in the 80s. Um, yeah, which feels kind of fitting. I feel like that character, that's where he was born to be, I guess. Yeah, he never felt like he had like, like he was like a head of like a tech company for a while, but that, that still didn't feel like that was where he really belonged. No. Well, and they tried to make him and Daisy happen, but he was just so silly that like you uh-huh. could never really imagine them oh, together. That that part was so funny though, when he had his own framework and Mac comes in <laughs> and sees <laughs> Daisy in there. He's like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's it was very believable that he would have a crush on her, and it was not that believable that she would reciprocate those feelings. Um yeah, and I'm glad that the show didn't force that. Yeah. You know, I was I appreciated that. Especially after Lincoln, we had like two and a half seasons of Lincoln, and you know, <laughs> and that was definitely the show forcing things. So <laughs> I appreciated that they were like, "Look, this isn't super working. Let's not try to make it happen." Do you have any thoughts on where Daisy's love life ended up with uh, uh, with Susa? I mean, I think they're I think they're a nice couple. Um, they sort of, you know. You know, they, they dig into each other a little bit with her him calling her Quake and she just making fun of how kind of a dorky he is. So uh-huh. I think it's a nice relationship. Um, I'm glad that they didn't just be like, Sousa, you know, tough luck with Endgame. Your you, your happy ending is is gone now. It's just like, you know, we're, we'll rework you into the, the Marvel TV uh, side of things. And... Uh, yeah, no, I think it worked for me. It did. Yeah, well, and I was also glad because Agent Carter was ended so uh, like abruptly and like All right, without yeah. any real conclusions. You know, they they were planning for a third season that then just never came. Um, and so I, I was glad that you got a resolution with that character because because honestly, in if you look closely at like Winter Soldier. Uh, they imply that Peggy got married to a different person who was not Sousa. Um, so, 
and the way that Agent Carter went in season two was that like they were apart for a long time and then they finally were like honest about their feelings, but then like we never really know how that story ended. So I like the idea that we got to like double back around and like have this sense of like, well, they were worked, they worked together, but they never really made it work as a relationship, but he still really cared about her, obviously. And then transposing that into a relationship with Daisy. I really liked it. I, I was surprised. I was when they, in that first episode, when they were paired together in the seventies, I was like, are they doing this? No, they wouldn't do this. <laughs> and then they did. And it kind of works. I agree. It kind of works. It's nice. I will, I will I think say, it's, speaking of Sousa, do you wish that they had had Peggy on? They could have brought her back for an episode. They didn't. Do you, do you feel I like? Think, I think if they could have brought her back, they would have. I think that whether they were told by higher ups or whether Haley Seinfeld or um, Haley Atwood was just not available, um, I think that uh, like the actress who played Peggy Carter. I mean, yeah, I yeah, think, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think that uh, either like I think one of those two things probably happened. I think if they could have had her back in a cameo, I feel like they would have, you know. And instead, they like do a little homage by making Gemma be Peggy for people who don't know who Peggy is, and then like it got it gets blown up because of Sousa. Like I think that I if they that Sousa thought her accent, accent was fake. <laughs> yeah, that was very funny <laughs> because and I and also because like you know Americans actually aren't great at picking up. Uh, British accents I find I've heard that from a lot of people who'd be like oh that British accent's so bad and it's like that actor is actually from there I just don't know if you know that so I thought I thought that that was believable too and it was like a cute moment for them but yeah uh I think that they could have brought her if they could have brought her back they would have and I think that having Sousa instead was a nice kind of um a nice consolation prize because that actor is so good he's just great he, he's really good on Dollhouse to show that um, we oh, probably shouldn't talk that. about anymore. Oh yeah, he had like a pretty prominent role in that show. Okay. Um, that was another but, Josh uh, Green, uh, show, right? It it was yes, and we should. If people don't know, this is uh, the show is co-created by Joss Whedon, but he really had nothing to do with it after the pilot. He and his brother, gave it, he gave it to his brother Jed and his brother's wife um, Marissa Tagaron. Oh, that's so his they wife. Served, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, that's his wife. So they served as the showrunners and. Uh, and creators of the show for the entire run of the season of the series after Jops walked away with it, walked away from it after the first episode. So that's yeah. really why like the series doesn't like there are these other Joss Whedon shows that have like Buffy. That's a Joss Whedon show. Firefly, Dollhouse. Those are Joss Whedon shows. This is like Joss Whedon directed the pilot and he helped get it off the ground, but it's not really a Joss Whedon show. It's a it's a Jed Whedon show. Exactly. And it definitely like it its origins were in that sort of uh Buffy verse style show and it very quickly kind of evolved away from that and into something that was really uniquely its own and I really appreciated that. And and uh you know I think that um Marissa is a woman of Asian descent and I think that it played a role in having so many prominent Asian characters on the show and I'm really they did grateful have for quite that a few which I noticed they did and it's noticeable because like that rep that that demographic just doesn't get represented a lot in in uh network tv or in uh genre fiction and it's a shame because Obviously, there's a lot of Asian there's a lot of Asian fans of comic books out there, and it's nice to see them get prominent roles on a show like this. So I'm, I was very grateful for the role that she played in in kind of creating a diverse uh, landscape. And the and the show overall had a really great 
track record after the second season of like bringing in a lot of diverse characters and uh, not immediately killing them, uh, which was a problem in the early goings of the show, <laughs> which is uh, regrettable. But yeah, after like season, once you get into season three, all of the, they had like a nice amount of diversity that kind of stuck around and, um, and I really appreciated that. But yeah, it's, it was very cool. Like, you know, Chloe Bennett is half Asian um, in real life um, and her character is on the show as well. And, you know, Ming-Na Wen, of course, is like an icon of, of the screen and uh, as, and she is, um, she's actually one of the, the few actor, actors who can say they were part of a Marvel property Star Wars property and a Disney princess property, but because she also she was in uh, the Mandalorian last season and uh-huh. she is the voice of Mulan infamously. Uh-huh. Um, so she was she also Chun Li in the Street Fighter movie. She was, she was that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's 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 really cool the amount of diversity. We didn't really talk that much about Mac. Um, we're kind of running late, but we didn't talk about Mac and Yo-Yo that much. Yo-Yo had like a really, int- like, how, how, what did you think about Yo-Yo's arc about like overcoming her trauma in order to get full access of her powers? Um, it did seem kind of like coincidental that like she had this issue right when she had like gotten the Shrike uh, embedded in her like for some reason it's like they, they don't seem they're not connected but like they seem connected because they happen around the same time so yeah i, I think was... the argument that this sh- i think the argument that show was making was that like her restrictions of her powers were tied to her trauma and this the episode with the shrike was so traumatic that it like shut her down completely but then in order to resolve that, she needed to work through her original trauma, which was the things that happened to her as a kid. And then she got full access to her powers even more than before. Right. Um, it is sort of kind of like, like... I do kind of like like um, like the origin of her snapping back in place is because she was hiding in that closet and she took that necklace or whatever and came back. So that's... I know that that's interesting to me, um, but at the same time, now she's basically the Flash, and right. her powers aren't as unique anymore. But they're more yeah. useful. They are. She's like way more powerful now that she doesn't have to bounce back and in a heartbeat, which was the whole original thing. Was like she could go anywhere she needs to go, but she has to come. She needs to come back within the span of a heartbeat. And it's like that was so specific, and then it's like actually this whole other thing but I, I i liked the episode i thought the episode was good and i like that they gave her something to do because she really otherwise in the season didn't really have that much story um so i was glad they kind of slowed things down for her to have that moment um and that storyline but overall like her and mac are another great couple um on the show and i think that they're they've been through like poor Mac has been through more than anybody on the show. I think honestly, like they've all been through the ringer, but poor Mac has been through the worst of it. You know, I mean, like in the framework, he had to have he had to have his his daughter oh, yeah. who died in her life die oh, in his yeah. arms, like just disappear. That was really rough. And then in this season, I mean, he had maybe the worst thing that's ever happened to a character on the show. This is a show where several of the main characters have died at least once, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and still. I think that would happen to him where it's like, oh, robots came, murdered your parents, stole their face, pretended to be them to you long enough so that way you could rescue them and have like an emotional cathartic moment with your dad and your mom. 
and then they're revealed to actually be robots and you have to beat them up and throw them out of a plane (laughs) while they still look like your parents like i can't think of anything more traumatic than that that was really that was insane that poor man yeah but i mean he gets to be director of shield uh you know and maybe shield is more than just you know half a dozen agents in a basement now it's there it's um he's he's on a, a helicarrier somewhere even though it was painfully obvious that it was uh a green screen but i mean okay i know it's a tv budget you do you don't think that looked good <laughs> yeah no that was really rough i feel like i like that they like i get why they did it but um I feel like if they couldn't make it look good, then they could have maybe done something else instead. <laughs> because, yeah, that looked really rough. Because, because you mentioned before, I think two things that this show has really done better than I think anybody would expect to is a lot of the effects have been, like, even compared to, like, some of like, the Arrowverse stuff, I think has been better than them um, as far as visual effects. Um, mm-hmm. And choreography has always been pretty good, too, for uh, fights. Yeah, their fight choreography are always on point. Like, they they always keep them engaging and interesting, and all of the characters have their own kind of style of fighting that feels specific to the character. And, and, and like, they pepper the scenes with, uh, like, they pepper every episode with at least one or two fight sequences that feel like that, that work, and they incorporate superpowers well without over-relying on it. I think that's all been like a good, um, a strong point of the show. But yeah, I, I guess I'm glad for them that uh, that he ends up as director of Shield, um, assuming that that's a real. He's thing very much with... Nick Fury with the jacket. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, Yo Yo getting to be on her own, getting I guess she's they don't specifically say it, but it kind of feels implied that she's like the leader of that team, right? Like right, it's her oh, and to... Piper. Hyper, yeah, and who I had a, completely forgotten about. <laughs> didn't they make a Chronicom like, oh, of yeah. her partner who died they last did. season? Yeah, they made an LMD of her partner who was killed by um by the by the bird lady, whatever she, <laughs> she was. <laughs> I hated that character and that storyline so much. <laughs> I refused to learn her name, but yeah, they created a an LMD version of him, and that was nice, I guess, for him to get to be part of the finale. Um. I had completely forgotten about Piper, who is a character that really grew on me. And I liked that they like she was kind of just a background grunt who then like just kept sticking around and then got to be an actual character eventually. And I and I liked that. And but I completely forgot that she was just like left in the in the jungle at the end of last season. <laughs> just, at no point during the entire season this year was I like, oh, what's Piper up to? I just completely forgot she existed. I, did you have that same feeling? Uh, a little bit. I mean, yeah, she, I think it's nice when you build up your, your background characters because, I mean, obviously a show like Star Trek is infamous for killing off their background characters with the red shirts, but, you know, just because somebody's not part of the main cast, they can still be, you know, they can still do something important. Yeah, exactly. And I think she really, that actress, like, earned her spot on the team, I think, you know, over the course of those seasons, because she really was just a background person. Like, I think, like, she pops up towards the end of season four, where she kind of is, like, there to help fly the plane when when Daisy and and Gemma hack into the framework. Um, And then she just kept sticking around and, like, being 
fun. And so she ended up uh, becoming a regular cast member for a while. Um, but yeah, I just I just never remembered that we were that that was like a a hanging thread from last season. <laughs> um, and also that Flint was there also, who was the character from season five, who then they wished into existence, I guess, through the stone, right? And like now he's a person who's going to school, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, he's I just, going to the Coulson I, Academy, which yes. is that so, I'm assuming is the, is the Shield Academy. I don't yes, know. I think that that's yeah. That, that's the implication is that like they have like they have a new academy for Shield and they named it after Coulson. And I guess he's getting and and May is teaching there, which is very nice. Um, that's I think that's a nice place for her arc to end. Um, I think it's kind of weird that Flint is there because Flint is still like a teenager, so it's like, are they training kids to become agents? Is that what's happening, or like is he just gets grandfathered in because he's a a made-up person from a fictional timeline. <laughs> like, so he just. I, I don't know. Maybe it. it's like Hogwarts. You you go to like agent school, like you go to wizarding school. I don't know. <laughs> I think uh, the morality of that question seems a little bit more dubious, <laughs> given that yeah. they're like a spy agency that's like in charge of murdering people secretly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. But it was a nice place for her to end. I thought. And like, what do you think about the whole, you know, uh, agents of sword? potential spinoff with uh, Daisy and her. And I did. I heard a little bit about that. I was it, is, there haven't been any rumors about a, a spinoff, have there? Because I would figure that the... there's. Yeah, there's only been fans desperately hoping that it'll happen, but there's been no such like there's been no any real rumors from either like from reporters or from like actual sources and stuff. Right. I heard like, there was a lot that... of they yeah. weren't allowed to use the words they weren't allowed to say sword really i didn't that's what i read i like what i know is that when disney plus was was announcing a lot of their new shows there was a lot of rumors about one of the new shows might be agents of sword there was a lot of people who were like oh well if that's true then maybe some of the agents of sealed characters can come along and be part of that and i think that you know this is a creative you know this kind of hooked into what the fans are talking about online and i wouldn't be surprised if they included that as like a little bit of an easter egg for fans to be like oh maybe that's what's happening you know but i don't think there's any hope that they'll actually do something like that because yeah, I like i said nice like feige has really yeah because like feige has really separated what they're doing in the movies with anything that has come before it with agents of, with the with the marvel tv stuff the only only time that they ever cross-pollinated since that break in 2015 is in Endgame when they let Jarvis, um, the Jarvis character from Agents of, uh, from Agent Carter, be uh, um, Howard Stark's butler driver in I, that I, scene. I, in I really don't like that they did that though. You don't like that? No, no, I do. I, no, I do. I like that. That. Oh, that you they do like that. that okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I do too. I thought that that was really nice. It was like a nice little tip but that's the only time in five years that they've allowed any sort of cross-pollination at all so i don't think that we're going to get like a big spinoff because i think they are setting up like sword as an organization for people who don't know in the comics books like at some point uh there becomes like an off like shield is there for the earthly problems and then at some point 
sword, uh, which is like an out, like there's a whole, like every letter has a reason for it, but it's all kind of silly, just like shield, um, becomes like a secondary agency that exists to protect the planet earth from like outside, like invaders and aliens and those types of threats. And like, at some point, uh, Captain Marvel becomes like the head of sword for a long time in the comic books, I believe. And like, there's a whole thing. So, so it ends at the very end of, um, Spider-Man far from home. Fury is seen kind of in this gigantic spaceship somewhere floating in space. Uh, and it's and it's rumored that that is sword and that that's going to be like the first step in like a whole sword related plot line in the movie. So I think if they go down that road, then we're definitely not going to get a, a Daisy starring sword episode, like TV show. But what I like about that as an ending is that it does at least it puts Daisy, who is the character who's most likely to show up. Um, in a in a Marvel movie, I think just because she's super powered and because you know she's a young actress who's very talented and like she's she has like she feels like out of everybody like she would also have like the least she she would have the most connection to things going on and like the least need to explain why she has to be there instead of any other random person you know like if there was like a tech problem like why do you need Fitz to show up versus like any person who would be in like just the show like the movie in general you know so I feel like she's the most likely person to pop up somewhere else and it just puts her in the middle of space which means that they could pick her up in any context, basically, and just shove her in a movie, and it would work with the continuity that the show has left, you know? Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. I'm not going to keep my hopes up, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, like, it's like you could easily see them be like, oh, like, she's back from space, and she's on birth. Or uh, she's not with the team anymore. She's on her own and on a planet undercover, and she runs into Captain Marvel or something. Like, you could, there's, like, a lot of her being literally in like a nondescript corner of the galaxy like really allows you to pick up with her at another point doing literally anything uh which i think is a nice way if they ever choose to pluck her out of uh tv obscurity because <laughs> i really like her as an actress and i like her as a character and i think she could work as a as a movie character but mm -hmm. i as you said i don't have my hopes very high for that one but uh, any any final thoughts on on shields both and the series and the whole venture well no it's just um we didn't really touch on the colson lmd it's just that it's an interesting place to end it because we talk about how it's not really colson so it doesn't have the same feeling if you had seen colson go up to lola and fly away this is colson but not really colson so like you know what i mean yeah and that's why I didn't work in the way that I wanted it to from least is because of that. Because it's like, oh, okay. You know, I guess that's nice. <laughs> like, that was my reaction. I, other people were, like, crying when that happened. But for me, I was just like, oh, yeah, all right, sure. I guess that's where we're ending. That's not what I would have thought that we would. I like the idea of ending on Coulson because we start on Coulson. And, like, even though it's not really Coulson, there's still a part of Coulson in, in there. And so it's a nice idea to end with that. But yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't work as well as if it was actually getting Lola again. And also, like, I don't know, Lola wasn't like, I never really got Lola as a thing on the show, honestly. And I was happy when it got destroyed because it was like, this is kind of dumb and like very like 
straight male bullshit. <laughs> so I was like not really ever invested in Lola as an idea of like him being like, oh, I'm like a middle-aged man and I like a cool convertible car, but also it flies because I'm a cool super secret agent. Like I never really liked that um, in the show. So ending it there, it just really didn't mean anything to me, but I get it. I get it from like a, like an, as an idea, I get ending it there. Okay. Yeah, but um, as far as the show goes, it's just it's been a really wild ride. How many places the show has gone over the years? Um, I mean, if you told me that this show would end after Arrow, I'd probably say you were crazy. I mean, they and <laughs> this only came on like a year after, so like, um, I never thought it would get this far. I, you know, um, every every season like um season four and season five felt like it was going to be the last season. Um, but they, I mean, I guess it's really a testament to the fans who were there to, um, they were there for the show when it needed them to, you know, to watch. So um, it kind of shows that you can still make a pretty, you know, successful show with a pretty small following and it have, uh, aside from maybe some limitations as far as, you know, uh, set design and stuff like that um, have um, pretty good production value, and and just yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that that is a one of its legacies is just like how how good it looked, how strong the characters ended up being, uh, how much the actors grew in those roles, and how much it really felt like a, a family that you cared about by the end um, if you stuck around for it. Yeah. Um, and then I guess just like my very final question for you before we end is so they really thought that they were going to be ending with season five and they wrote season five as a plausible finale. We then got two more seasons and now we've seen those two seasons. Do you wish that it ended at season five? Or are you happy that you got these other, these last two seasons? Uh, that's a really tough question for me because I do definitely like some episodes in both of those seasons. Um, I don't think that them going two uh, episodes or two seasons beyond really hurts the legacy of the the show at all. Um, but I would have been totally fine if they just been like season five. That's it. Um, I don't know if that's how you feel. Yeah, I. I really liked how season five uh, felt like a culmination of this of the whole series. And I was very skeptical that they would be able to pull that off a second time. And I think that what they were able to do by like taking a tour through time and then really allowing the characters to evolve in interesting directions in that final season, uh, I think it almost justifies itself. And I think that like where fight where they end, feels very satisfying in a way that the finale to season five was very emotional, but it left you in kind of like a, a tough spot where like Fitz is dead, but the team is. Oh yeah. If, they did, if, they, okay, if, like, if, if season five ends with Fitz dead, then I'm not cool with that. Well, it ends with Fitz dead, but well, I know, but if that was the, the fin other finale and it was, they hadn't changed that, I would not have been cool with that. <laughs> I well, that. Okay. So there, there you go. That's a stronger answer then. <laughs> I think it would have been a very poetic 
ending where you kind of like have this like you're ending on hope which is like a on on loss but on hope which has been like a very consistent theme throughout the whole series um but this feels much more emotionally satisfying as an as a place where everybody rests like they and get like the, everybody gets their own version of a happy ending yeah that one they they showed phil uh and uh may together on tahiti the real tahiti yes um but you didn't before really he get like, before he, and you knew that Mac was becoming um, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. But like this one is definitely more definitive, gives you like this is what's happening with all the rest of these characters and this is where they ended up. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I'm I'm I <laughs> I I do wish that we could kind of like pretend like season six didn't happen, though, because I think that was kind of a low point for like this second at least the second half of the series but um but season seven justified itself and i was happy to go along for the ride and it was a lot of fun and uh and it was it felt emotionally satisfying by the end so i'm i'm not upset that we got it uh do you have like a ranking of the seasons oh gosh that's um because you i don't know if i could rank it i could tell you that seasons three and four are probably around the top for me and then, like, I can't really rank season one too high just because I'll only be talking about, like, the last, like, seven episodes. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's true. And, 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 like, season, and, like, season two is such a blur for me for some reason, even more than season one for some reason. But um, I actually, I rewatched season, I rewatched the first, like, I, I rewatched the first, like, two seasons, um, like, the winter time this year. Uh, just because I was like, oh, the season, the series is ending. I'm going it, to, it's on Netflix. Let me see. Let me remind myself how it all started. And uh, season two is just so like full of plot that it's really easy to understand why you would forget what happened. Because there's just like so many characters and so many moving pieces. And it's like some of the stuff works and some of the stuff doesn't. And they kind of, season three has that, but it's a little bit more toned down. And then I think season four, they really finally figured out how to like balance their ensemble with a plot like interlocking plots and stuff like that and that's when they really kind of hit their stride mm -hmm. but uh yeah that's i i would mostly agree with your rankings i think i probably like five more than three um but uh but otherwise yeah i would agree i think like one and six are really low points of the show and uh i think probably four five seven three in that order would probably be my favorite seasons um, okay, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Any final uh, thoughts on S.H.I.E.L.D.? I, I don't know. I guess I just want to thank, you know, everybody who put in so much effort into making this show that nobody thought... If you if you read my review, or read my review, um, I put in comments about things that people said about the show during season one, like how they had no faith in it. So, like, just so uh, thanks to you know everybody who kept working on it when people you know counted you out yeah i totally agree i think that those people had a lot the the creator team behind the scenes had a lot of expectations to live up to and they had to take they had to take a lot of crap over the years for being like oh is your show still on and you know which i'm sure is is no fun for anybody but i think they they put 
together a really special show at the end of the day and and it's the type of genre show that we don't we get a lot more genre these days but I don't know I feel like I, I feel like this was a very special one that um that not enough people saw and I hope you know it's gonna event it's on Netflix right now it's I'm sure it's going to eventually move over to Disney plus and I hope it lives on there and a new generation of fans finds it and, and appreciates it because it deserves it deserves that attention but um but I get that's going to do it for us today. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this uh, bone, this jumbo-sized episode of Goodbye to All That. We were wrapping up a seven-season series, so we had to go a little bit longer than we usually do. <laughs> but uh, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find your stuff on Pop Break and elsewhere online? Okay, so, uh, well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was my big project like i said for since like halfway through season three so you might not see me quite as much um as far as uh the written word goes but i'm still doing podcasts with my brother josh uh on movies and we started doing tv uh anniversaries so we have a couple lined up um maybe not as quite as much as the summer things are slowing down a little bit not as many notable movies come out during the fall but we, we still have some things planned um, and you can find me at Aaron Sarnecki on Twitter. Great. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. Uh, you can follow this show um, on Pop Break TV, uh, anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, other shows that are on that channel include uh, the show that I do with uh, Aaron's brother, Josh, uh, called TV Break, where we talk about all the things going on in TV once a month. Um, other shows, as Aaron said, you can find his uh, the Anniversary Brothers, which he does with Josh. You can find uh, all of the TV-related episodes of that on Pop Break TV. Um, you can find uh, also a show called Live, Laugh, and Lovey, hosted by uh, Pop Break's Lovey McPherson, where she talks about her favorite uh, TV shows, uh, reality shows, and uh, dramas that her and her friends are watching. That comes out twice weekly. Um, and uh, you can follow my film podcast, Cinema Joes, at Cinema Joes on Twitter, or you can look for us on all the places you get podcasts. Uh, this fall, we're doing a special series uh, where we're bringing on our some of our past guests and some new guests to talk about their favorite shows, or, or I'm sorry, their favorite movies <laughs> of all time. Um, and we have a lot of fun episodes lined up. So that's going to be, that's going to take us through the whole fall season um, while movies are still kind of in a state of flux. Uh, so check us out over there. Um, again, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Uh, this was really fun. Um, and uh, until next time, I'll see you later. <laughs>